everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, Fire Tornadoes and Nicolas Cage. On average, we're going to see a lot more fire. And the thing is, there's no vaccine for wildfires. We have to learn to live with these fires and the associated smoke. These are high-intensity fires, and flames can be hundreds of feet in size. And these are the ones that are impossible to extinguish. And this is where we're moving because, you know, people say, hey, if we keep on getting more fire, the trees won't be able to handle it. And they're absolutely right. The trees will disappear. But what will replace it? Uh, Shrubs or grass? So I say, in some respects, we're moving to a grass world. As we see more and more fire, grass is going to be the winner. And grass can burn every year. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So I don't want to sound dramatic. Because I think if you turn on the news, if you look at social media, the world is ending every day. Right? But the more I talked to our first guest, the more I learned about this subject, the more I just kept thinking, man, this sounds really bad. We should really be doing something about this. Because it is something that we've heard a lot about recently. Historic fire after historic fire, lives lost, forests burned, billions of dollars in property damage. But there is a solution. It's just going to take a lot of work. Our first guest is an expert in wildland fires and what we can do about them. This is Dr. Mike Flanagan. When we look at wildfires now, I keep hearing this, it's historic, it's historic. Are these really historic or is this the new normal for us now? I would use the term unprecedented as well as historic for some regions like California and Australia. If you go back in time, before our modern records, there are indications that, you know, the landscape did burn frequently. But, you know, there was a lot of grass in the valley that's now agriculture. So it's kind of comparing apples to oranges. Um, so, yes, these are, we're in uncharted territory. You know, some people like to say new normal. I don't like that because there's nothing normal about this, a new reality, perhaps. Things are going to get worse and worse. So that's why I don't like normal. When you say things are going to get worse and worse, kind of help me understand in terms of, all right, one, everything's fine. Ten, this is the worst it could possibly be. Like, where are we at right now? Where do you think we're going to be in the foreseeable future? We're, we're you know, we're, we're probably at seven or eight, but there's there's room and the scale may go beyond ten. That's what we're afraid of. Uh and I, I don't want to give the impression, you know, like there was terms like apocalyptic in the newspapers when those orangey, reddish skies from all the smoke. Uh, not every year is going to be like this year. Okay. Some years are going to be cooler. Some years are going to be wetter. But on average, we're going to see a lot more fire. And the thing is, there's no vaccine for wildfires. Uh, we have to learn to live with these fires and the associated smoke. So, you know, why am I saying all this? Well, the research that I have done and many of my colleagues have found a relationship between temperature and wildfire. And here I'm talking about the warmer it gets, the more fire we see. And people say, whoa, 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 why is temperature so important? 
And here I'm not talking about individual fire, like the camp fire or the creek fire, where wind and the day-to-day weather plays a major role. I'm talking about a larger area, like California, over a longer period of time, like a month or a fire season. And there's kind of three reasons, and you may find out fire people love threes. Uh, the warmer it gets, the longer the fire season. The fire season started earlier this year in California, as it did in Australia in last year's fire season for them. The warmer it gets, the more lightning you see. The more lightning you see, the more lightning caused fires you see. And lightning played a major role in Australian fires and in this historic, unprecedented California wildfire season. The third reason is probably the most convoluted, but probably the most important. As the atmosphere warms, and this summer, it was a record-breaking heat wave for the southwestern United States, including California, the more efficient the air is, it's sucking the moisture out of the fuel. And unless there's some rain to compensate for this drying effect, our fuels will be drier. And this is critical because the drier the fuels, the easier it is for a fire to start, whether it's by a lightning strike or by a campfire, it's just easier to start and spread. And it means more fuels dried out. That means there's more fuel to burn, more energy to be released, higher intensity fires, like those pyrocumulonimbus we've seen, fire generated thunderstorms, very intense, erratic, dangerous. These are difficult to impossible to extinguish. So as we continue to warm, our fuels are going to be drier, more lightning, and you know, California's moving to a year-long fire season. So that's why we say you know, we're going to see more fire in the future. And just to kind of clarify, when you say fuels, we're talking about basically like plants and trees, right? Yeah. So, you know, when a fire starts, uh, I'll use the forest as an example. It starts in the forest floor. And there's usually a bed of needles or leaves. It's dead stuff. That's where the fire typically starts. And so and that can carry it up into the shrubs and then up in, right into the trees, particularly the conifer trees in this continent. And then the crowns of the trees, the tops of the trees get engaged. And we call these crown fires. These are high-intensity fires. And flames can be hundreds of feet in size. And these are the ones that are impossible to extinguish directly through uh, retardant or foam or water from planes. Even though it makes a great picture, it's like spitting on a campfire if the fire is large and the conditions are dry and the fuels are dry. Um, the only tool fire management has is called a burnout operation, which is very effective. You get in front of the wildfire where it's going to go, and you start a new fire, but it's backing into the wind so it's lower intensity and you can manage it. And then the wildfire and the burnout meet, it's got no fuel. So very effective. The problem becomes if the winds are shifting, then it's it's a, a dangerous operation because the fire you start may flip to a head fire, a higher intensity fire that you may no longer be able to control. So now you've got a wildfire and a new fire that you can't control. It's fire management's challenging and it's going to be even more challenging in the future with climate change. It, climate change is definitely the cause, right? When we look at this, is there any serious debate about this or have basically all the researchers like yourself kind of coalesced around this idea like, yeah, this is climate change is fueling this? I'd say there's consensus. There are still some people who do not believe that it's climate change. And I want to make this distinction clear. It's not solely climate change, but climate change is the 
biggest player here. Um, we, the, the way we manage our landscapes does play a role. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, there's been a drought in California, a multi-year drought, and millions of trees have died. And sometimes this happens with uh, outbreaks of pests. And so you now have large volumes of dead fuel. A fire come through, it leads to these high-intensity fires. So managing your landscape does play a role as well. A research done by some of my American colleagues suggests that about 55% of the increases we've seen are responsible to climate change. So it's the biggest player. Now, to give you perspective what's going on in Western United States, area burn has quadrupled. That's increased by a factor of four since the 70s. California has increased by a factor of five since the 70s. So we're, we're on this trajectory of more and more fire, and I don't see anything changing. And, you know, if you are downtown Los Angeles or downtown San Francisco, the likelihood of your place burning down to a wildland fire is almost zero. Okay? But the smoke from these fires can smoke you out for weeks and air quality can go, you know, down the tube. And the more we know about wildland fire smoke, the more we know it's really bad for our health. Is there anything we can do? Is there any good news? Absolutely. There are things we can do. So, you know, maybe I'll start here with, you know, whether you're in Australia, the Arctic, the Amazon or California, there's three ingredients for a wildfire to occur. Okay. You need these three things. It's, it's like a recipe. The stuff that burns the fuel, okay, the needles, the leaves, the shrubs, the trees, how much you have, what type, how dry it is, all important aspects of the fuel factor. Second, ignition. Uh, we've talked a bit about lightning, but people also start fires. And then the third is hot, dry, windy weather or conducive fire, whether dry and windy will work as well. And you get all three and you get wildfire. Uh, so what can we do? Well, first thing, uh, from a climate change perspective, we can stop emitting greenhouse gases or re at least reduce greenhouse gas emission. But the thing is, even if we stop today emitting greenhouse gases, we're, the Earth is going to continue to warm for 50 years or more because of the, the lags in our climate system, particularly the ocean. So we're going to continue to warm. So taking away the climate change aspect, we, we really can't do much about the day-to-day -day weather. Look at the ignition. We really can't do much about lightning. Uh, but uh, human-caused fires, we can do something about. And we can reduce every human-caused fire is preventable. And a number of these fires in California and Oregon this year and other years have been started by either people directly or our infrastructure, power lines, for example. These are preventable. We can bury power lines. Yes, it's expensive, but how expensive was, uh, what's the cost of burning down a town like Paradise, California? All human-caused fires are preventable. Things like building materials and uh, how you plan your community. You want fire breaks around the edge of your community, whether that's golf courses, baseball diamonds, green grass is a very effective fire break. So you can plan it so that you have this buffer zone where it's unlikely to burn, or if it does burn, it's lower intensity and fire management can put it out. So um, around communities, 
you can reduce the risk by reducing the, the fuel load or the fuel type if it's particularly flammable. And you can do this with prescribed burning, cutting down trees. You can use goats and other animals for grazing just to reduce the amount of available fuel for that fire. Um, now, there's been a lot said about uh, prescribed burning. And yes, it does produce smoke. And, but the argument is a little smoke now versus a lot of smoke later. But in those areas that are particularly sensitive, like some of the parks where you have a lot of tourists, you can use mechanical treatment and re- reduce the fuel load. When you talk about like you know the development aspect of it, are we building in places that we really shouldn't be building, or are we just getting bigger and this is kind of the natural process of that? Well, it's both. There was something that LA Times, you know, about three or four years ago, that we're continuing to build in wildlands and fire-prone lands, and and they kind of use the analogy of building in floodplains. Um, and it's not a complete analogy, but we are building in areas that we should think twice about. Um, acreages, what we call the wildland urban interface, that's, you know, at the edge of communities, you're in the woods, and it's I've lived places like that, and it's gorgeous. You've got trees, you've got wildlife, you've got flowers, wildflowers. But the problem is that in some of these places, you're at a much greater risk from wildfire unless you take some precautions. You're in a much riskier environment. And insurance companies, if they haven't already, they will say, no, we will not insure your home for wildfire because the risk is too high. Is there a general way that a fire is going to spread? Like, is there a pattern to it or does it just burn everything around it? So it depends on how dry the fuels are uh, as to know where where it will spread how intense it will be and the wind helps the wind and topography help dictate where it will spread so if you were a grass field and the grass is all dead it's yellow you drop a match if there's no wind it would be a circle it just spread out in all directions but once the wind starts to blow well then it takes the shape of the ellipse and the most intense part is at the head of that fire, and that's the direction it spreads. We have models of fire growth that work quite well in most circumstances, so uh, we can have a pretty good idea. If you have a weather forecast, we know what the topography is, and we know the fuels, we can tell you where that fire is going to spread. Does it generally like to go uphill or downhill? Generally uphill, and that's because the winds generally during the day, and that's the active burning period normally, is the winds go up valley, up slope. And that's why canyons are so dangerous. And lots of people, you know, I was in San Diego County last year. You know, I was in a number of canyons. And if a fire started, the, the base of that canyon spread up, you're trapped. You have no escape route. So, yes, uh, fires typically spread uphill. And uh, if you think about it, the flames are bent over closer to the ground, depending on the slope, so that it gets more radiation, it's more efficient at spreading uphill as opposed to downhill. Are we developing new firefighting techniques or is it just more people, bigger trucks, bigger planes? Like, are there new ways of doing it or are we just improving upon the old ones? We'll go back in time a little bit. There was a program, Smokey Bear program, and not Smokey the Bear, but Smokey Bear. And, you know, Smokey Bear has a couple of messages. One is that fire... Uh, only you can prevent forest fires. 
And that's a great message. So that's talking about human-caused ignitions. The other part is that it's inferred that fire is bad. Fire is our enemy. We have to put it out. And that's not the case at all. Okay? Fire is natural in many of our forests in Canada the United States. And that's just Mother Nature at work. If anything, it's beneficial. It kills disease and insects. And it's the cycle of life. It just resets the clock. Lots of trees and other species are adapted to uh, fire. And we've kind of said, okay, we don't want any more fires. So we put them all out. And that's creating a, a real problem uh, because these systems are used to fire. And you've re- now removed it. But with climate change, fire is coming back and we can't stop it. Um, so principle behind fire management is to determine if it's a wanted fire or unwanted fire. Yes, I actually said wanted fire. And in places in Canada and national parks and in the States and Canada and some of our jurisdictions say, make a determination, would that fire be beneficial? Then we'll monitor. Now, if a fire starts two kilometers or two miles from Redding, California, it takes half a second to say that's an unwanted fire. And you want to hit hard, you want to hit fast. You want it reported right away so that if you get to the fire when it's small, you know, the size of an office or uh, a, a typical yard, uh, it's easy for, for fire management. But once the fire gets to the size of a football field, and it's hot, dry, and windy, and the fuels are flammable, like conifer trees, we now have a serious problem. Okay, so there's a window. Sometimes that window is as small as 15 minutes. You've got a 15 minute window. Think about uh, structural firefighters. They get a call and your house is on fire. If they get there within 15 minutes, they can put that fire out. If you get there after 15 minutes, your house may be lost. The same thing about a wild on fire. If you get there quickly, you can put it out. If you get there later, the horse is out of the barn and that fire is now running and, you know, you got to start planning accordingly uh, but you your opportunity to put out the odds have greatly decreased that you'll you'll be able to put it out anytime soon we have some uh listener submitted questions are you ready for some listener submitted questions sure what is the worst place for fires currently this is kind of a value judgment here the worst place in terms of how frequent they are or how much impact in terms of impact i would have to say Currently, California uh, and Australia, not too far behind. Arctic for different reasons, and Amazon. Okay, um, you know if we if we continue to burn the Amazon, and it's, it's a land clearing tool uh, for agriculture and grazing for cattle. This forest with all its biodiversity may flip to Cerrado, which is a, like a savanna, um, and this is just hard to imagine. But that's where we're heading. Now, I said the Arctic um, because there's a lot of peat fires going on. And peat is organic material that's 40 centimeters or more in depth. And if you've done any landscaping, sometimes you've got bags of peat, peat moss. Okay? Well, these are carbon that's been building up over thousands of years. Now they're burning and releases significant amounts of greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. So the argument here is, you know, the warmer we get, the more fire we see. But the more fire we see, the more greenhouse gases we get, which feeds the warming. So that's why I said that in Australia. Um, well, there's lots of people 
number of people die, the smoke impact, that death toll from smoke was actually higher than the direct uh, fire death toll, which was in the 30s. How is the Arctic burning? So these are mostly lightning fires. And they, I'm not sure if you were aware, but there was a record-breaking heat wave in Siberia. And once again, that relationship between temperature and fire, and there was a lot of lightning fires. They've detected lightning near the North Pole now because um, there's lightning detection since global systems. Uh, so yeah, this fire starts, and this peat, the fire can smolder and actually burn through winter. We call, you know, they've been coined zombie fires because they, they keep on going, uh, even though they should, they shouldn't. Uh, and so they just continue to smolder and smolder. And when conditions right, it's flaming combustion and they just burn and burn and burn. And, uh, in, in fact, in, uh, peat fires are common in Indonesia. And some of those peat fires have been burning for 30 years or more. And, they, they just continue to smolder until the wire table reaches to them, uh, which maybe never. So I didn't say that sounds pretty bad. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, and, and, you know, uh, I do want you to be aware and your listeners that the amount of area burned globally is about 400 million hectares. That's the size of modern day India. Okay. It's a huge area. And much of this is done in Africa, Australia, and, uh, you know, unfortunately the Amazon. And a lot of it's cultural and some of it's clearing fields. And the actual area burden numbers, it's an estimate from remote sensing, you know, have been trending down globally because of changes primarily in Africa, converting wildlands to agriculture or urban areas and some new policies to restrict burning of fields. So the number's gone down, but we're seeing increases in places like Western United States, Australia, Canada, Siberia. Um, so that even though the actual area burned, you know, it's been decreasing globally, the impacts are increasing significantly. And 2020 may be turning the corner because 2020 seems to be uh, higher than previous years. But these are estimates from satellites, and you have to take them with a, a grain of salt. So is it just, are the trees and plants changing at all? Is that contributing anything? Yes, it's situational. It depends where you are. Now, I'll give you some examples, or at least one example from Hawaii. Okay? Uh, now, Hawaii is a great place, okay? and but they have fire. And a lot of people say fire. And if you've been to the big island on the dry sides, yeah, well, that makes kind of sense. But no, almost every island in the chain has had fire. And in part, some of it's natural, but some of it's more recent due to human-caused fires. Um, and because invasive grasses, okay, there are out-competing the native grasses, but these grasses are very flammable. They, they, they live and then they get, they die and then they burn but their root system survives and then they come back even stronger. And the native species aren't used to this fire, uh, are outcompeted. And so we're seeing a, a change from native species to these, you know, invasive exotic species that's promoting fire. And it's happening in Western United States. It's happening around the world. And this is where we're moving because, you know, people say, Hey, if we keep on getting more fire, the trees won't be able to handle it. And they're absolutely right. The trees will disappear. But what will replace it? Uh, shrubs or grass? So I say, in some 
respects, we're moving to a grass world. As we see more and more fire, grass is going to be the winner. And grass can burn every year. Many of our forest systems in North America are used to fire. But fire is too frequent. They cannot regenerate. So we may lose some of our forests in the process here if we continue to see more and more fire. And arguably, it's already happening in places. Is, have you seen, has there been any place where you thought like, oh, there's no way that place is going to burn? And then it, it has recently. Like it's changed so much that places you didn't think could burn are burning. So some of the, I've been to Australia a number of times, and, and some of their wet rainforest, nah, this is never going to burn. But, you know, I guess the same could be said we're close to where you live, there's some temperate rainforest, and you say, ah, no, this will never burn, you know, it's dripping wet, and, you know, it's so green, and, but in a severe drought, it actually can burn, and, uh, and will burn, and we're starting to see that on Vancouver Island, you know, on the, on the west side is, you know, like the Olympic Peninsula, it's very wet, okay, typically, but in the summer, you get these long periods of dry weather, you get some lightning strikes, which seem to be more common now than they used to be. Uh, we do get fires in these areas where, hey, you know, it's too wet, or at least I thought it was. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought you weren't going to get out of it? No. I've, and you know, this is interesting. Uh, firefighters in Canada do not carry uh, emergency shelters, okay? Our Americans... Uh, cousins usually do. And the reason is we believe we should never be in a position you have to deploy. You should always have your safety routes. You should never be in a dangerous spot that you have to do emergency shelters. So it's a little different philosophy. Um, and I've never felt uh, uh, unsafe. I, I've seen extreme fire behavior, uh, pyrocumulonimbus, uh, just incredible, but I was on the I was upwind, not downwind from the from the system. So I was on you know it's like watching a tornado from a distance. You're you're, you're fine because it and you know it's moving away from you. Okay, but if you're on the other side, oh, that that's yeah. So no, I've never felt threatened. What's what's pyro? I'm not even pyro gonna try. Cumulonimbus. Uh, pyro CB for short. It's a fire-generated thunderstorm. And you may have seen pictures of it uh, from some of the recent California fires. In fact, the National Weather Service issued a tornado warning, a fire-generated tornado warning this summer uh, in California for the first time in, on record. So the pictures you would see would be kind of smoky, you know, close to the earth, and then you kind of see that white billowy cauliflower look of a cloud, sometimes with an anvil, sometimes not. Um, that's a fire-generated thunderstorm, pyrocumulonimbus, pyro being fire, cumulonimbus being the term for thunderstorm. So fire-generated thunderstorm, these are erratic, high-intensity, very dangerous, um, and difficult to, well, essentially impossible to extinguish through direct attack. What are, you, what are you working on not right now, research-wise? What are you looking at? So I, I do a lot of climate change work, and I'm still working on climate change. Uh, I'm also looking at using machine learning, artificial intelligence. If you have a smartphone, if you use any of the software, uh, it's using artificial intelligence 
to have a way of doing an early warning system to identify when we're going to go those periods of severe, extreme fire weather and where we can expect new fires to occur so we can put resources, whether it's planes, helicopters, crews, in the appropriate spot so that we're ready for it. And let's get the resources there so we can deal with these fires quickly so we don't have so many escape fires threatening communities. I want to thank Dr. Flanagan so much for taking the time to join us. If you want to connect with him, learn more about his research, we have a link to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter and Instagram. And we have also included his information on the RSS feed that's on this podcast. Okay, now let's go ahead and give John Shull a call. Hello? Are you a telephone cup tough guy? <laughs> I, I'm sorry, you were kind of breaking up there. Yeah, I kind of stuttered a little bit. It actually was just me. No, actually, I, I believe it or not, which makes no sense, I don't really like talking on the phone. And I, I, I am not a telephone tough guy at all. Hmm, why don't you like talking on the phone? I mean, my profession, you know, I, I talk on the phone a lot. And in my personal life, I'm just not a big fan of it. So if I'm not entirely sure what you mean by a telephone tough guy, but if I have to talk to somebody, uh, say like a cable person or something like that, I'd rather go there instead of talking on the telephone. Oh, you'll actually show up at the office with like a complaint? Yeah, like I'll, you know, I'll make an appointment. Even if it's like a week later, you know, I will make an appointment just to talk to somebody in person. Wow. That's just a lot of extra effort. Cause I, cause I, I'm not a, I'm not a tough guy over the phone, right? Like I'll call the cable company and, and try to lower my price. And before I know it, I've added 10 bucks because I just go along with what they say. You're going to end up buying something you don't even want because you can't say no to somebody. <laughs> uh, over the phone, yes. Now in person, I'm completely different. Like, for instance, before you call, you know, because we have a set time. It's not like you just call me out of the blue. I get a little nervous before you call me. You get sweaty? You check your pits? <laughs> check your pits. I, mean, I, I would say my armpits, but like, you know, like right now, like I, I have a little, you know, perspiration on my palms for sure. Really? Check your pits real quick. Anything in the pits? <laughs> real quick. Check your pits. Check your lower back. Those are the two places I would think that you would get a little sweaty first. <laughs> All right. Pits a little sweaty. Uh, lower back is dry. Okay. Go up the back a little bit. Try up the far. Go a little up the back. See if you catch any moisture. No, no. There, there's nothing there. But I I, I mean, it, it, my lower. <laughs> why are we talking about this? All right. Interesting. <laughs> so basically, if anybody ever wants to convince you of something, just call you on the phone and you immediately agree to it. I like it. <laughs> That's the exact opposite of everybody else who's a telephone tough guy. No, you won't talk to a bear on the phone. My wife is very mean on the phone sometimes when she needs to be. You just compared your wife to a bear. No, no, I said she's... <laughs> it's a figure of speech. I didn't mean to, like, call her a bear. All right, are you ready to move on? Here's some shout-outs. Uh, <laughs> they're the weirdest transitions. Um, let's start with... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> slowest Chris too Pires, thank you very much john murphy uh sean molina jamie pachar appreciate every every one of you brandon connor ryan khalid 
And Dan, y'all get the gold star uh, for the week. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to go out. ahead. I'm going to add one in real quick. I want to shout out to Between the Legs. It's a motorcycle podcast. Really cool. Check it out if you get a chance. And, and quite the name. Uh, all right. Um, it is a good name, right? I would say that 95% of podcasting is having a good name. <laughs> I don't even have a high school education. Uh, anyways, um, uh, let's see. Are you going to uh, follow uh, a fortune cookie fortune, or are you more of a horoscope guy? Which one are you going to follow more? Ooh, a good question. Probably the fortune cookie. I'd stick with the fortune cookie more. See, I'm I'm the opposite. I, I I almost kind of believe in the whole horoscopes thing. So, what do you mean you almost kind of do? You either do or you don't. How do you almost do it? <laughs> I mean, I, I read them and then I'm like, oh well, uh, maybe you know this is a long time ago. Maybe I'll find the love of my life this month, and then it doesn't happen. But yet I'll read it again for the next month, thinking, oh maybe you know maybe I will find eternal peace. So but maybe, it never happens. So you're more of a wishful believer than you actually believe. You just want these things to happen. Yeah, but I don't want to actually work for them. I just want them to happen. Right. No, that naturally. I mean, I'm, uh, that's what I would imagine, that you're not going to put much effort into it. My problem with the fortune cookie, the fortune cookie used to be like, it used to be a good kind of prediction. Like, oh, they they really had some substance. Like, you will inherit riches on the 14th of the month like they used to get into some specifics now it's just kind of like a good thing will happen to you this year (laughs) you will make someone smile yeah right like one of your days this year will be nice right like you got to get some specifics in there and i can look at any of those horoscope things and like when i read one i'm like man they really nailed me and then read the next month. You're like, wow, actually, that sounds like me too. <laughs> so I'm going to go fortune cookie overall, though. How, I, I have to follow up. How do you – so you open the – like, how do you how do you eat the cookie? Do you eat the cookie before looking at the fortune or do you look at the fortune then eat the cookie? No. Everybody knows that you have, there's a specific way that you do the fortune cookie. You have to crack it. You don't look at the fortune. You have to eat the whole cookie. Then you look at the fortune. That's the way that it's supposed to be done. If you're looking at the fortune before you're finished with the cookie, you've just inviolated the rules of fortune cookie predictions. <laughs> it's a very set standard that you have to go by. You're look, pretty passionate about it. Look, I'm just saying that if you've ever wondered why your fortune cookie prediction is not coming true, it's because you're not following proper fortune cookie eating and prediction guidelines. <laughs> I usually do break it in half. Eat one half of the cookie, look at the fortune, and then eat the other half. It's wrong. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on, because we could spend 20 minutes on that. Uh, would you rather erase the first time you had sex or your first blackout? Well, I mean, didn't you erase your first blackout already? <laughs> like, you don't remember it. How can you erase it? You well, weren't there well, for it. Well, like, just the, the whole thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like... The, just the, the whole event leading up to the blackout. Well, I don't remember what it was. <laughs> so that's kind of an obvious question. Like, <laughs> would you rather All do right. this thing that you remember or not do the thing you don't remember? <laughs> uh, you know, whatever. It's, it's, we're, I'm going to call you a politician. That was a perfect non-answer. Um, it, was a, it was a great answer. It was a perfect, ridiculous question in the sense that there was no answer to it. 
<laughs> like, what would you rather forget? The thing you don't remember or the thing that you absolutely remember? <laughs> I, I feel like we touched all the bases there. Um, and then my last one's pretty lame, but... Uh, can we go back go to back the first... Can we go back to the first time that John Shaw had sex? I, I, it's never happened. My kids aren't even my own. <laughs> Except my six-month-old looks exactly like me, and I feel real sorry for her. But it's man, fun. it's gonna be a that's gonna be a tough road to hoe as a girl. <laughs> oh, man. I know it's gonna. You know, be happy you have two boys because at least you know you have an idea. I mean, I'm expected to raise two girls. They're fucked. Boys have it so much easier because a boy can look like their mom or their dad, and they're gonna be okay. Like if a girl looks like their dad, ooh, that's... well, I mean, unless your dad's like Brad Pitt, when your dad's John Scholl, you got some issues. But wait a minute, yeah. But wait a minute. All right, so think of the most attractive men you can think of. If a girl looked like Brad Pitt, is that still a good-looking girl? I would make an argument that no, right? Like, look at a manly-looking dude. Like, if a girl looks like Matthew McConaughey. That's not necessarily an attractive-looking girl. That's a great point. I, you know, I was like the Rock's oldest daughter. Like, she kind of looks like him, and it's not attractive at all. I wasn't going to get a name names. I don't see why you have to call people out like that. Look, everybody <laughs> is beautiful in their own way. I'm just saying that as okay, a whole. Gandhi, would you rather go back in time or go forward to the future? Probably forward, right? I don't want to go back in time because there's a pretty good chance that however things are now, they were actually worse before, right? Like, yeah, 2020, 2020 is kind of an exception, but think of like, all right, 2017. Is 2017 actually better than 2001? Well, that's not a good example either, <laughs> necessarily. All right, let's say 1994. Let's just pick some random fucking number. Uh, yeah, like 2017 was probably better than 1994. I feel like moving forward in time is always generally going to be better, with some exceptions. Of course, the being the two that I tried to pick right off the top of my head. <laughs> Listen, let, let's just move on to a top five that is going to be amazing. Okay, let's just let's just finish one one topic really quickly. The first time you had sex, was she disappointed? <laughs> I mean. Isn't both parties disappointed if you really think about it? Probably. Uh, so our top five is a little bit of a regrettable top five, but one of our avid listeners has basically bullied us into doing this. So we're going to do it anyway. Top five. I mean, he does have cancer, so. Wow, why you got to bring it at that? <laughs> yes, so now that John mentioned it, so one of our avid listeners who has cancer bullied us into doing this. And <laughs> now there's no way, basically, to not make fun of a guy who has cancer. So way to set no, that up. I just out. don't want people to think he's, you know, you know, a, a, a bully. You know, we're, we're he's he's a good guy. We're doing this for him because he loves Nicolas Cage and he has cancer. Okay, so you wouldn't do it for him if he didn't have cancer. So basically, you're saying that you'd be a dick if he didn't have cancer. So it's only Absolutely. his current. Th okay, well, as long as you're just saying it right out, then that's fine. <laughs> Shout out to Dante, man. We were we're with you, buddy. Um, yeah, he well, know he knows that. Don't be nice to him right now. Anyways, <laughs> God, there's just no way to save this. There's just no way to. to save. All right, let's just move on to top five, 
Nicolas Cage movies. What's your number five? First off, would you be surprised? He has 87 acting credits to his name. 87. No, he's... This is what, to me, this is a little bit difficult. Is that he's been in... I would say he's been in more bad movies than anybody else. (laughs) I mean, he's been in some terrible movies, yes. But he's also been in some good ones. Maybe the, The Rock... The Rock could get there. Like, if he keeps it up, if he has Nick Cage's acting length, The Rock could get there in terms of, like, man, he's been in some shitty movies. Yeah, but I think, man, I don't, it's hard to compare The Rock to anyone, man. I think The Rock's gonna go down as, like, being the biggest action movie star of all time. Yeah, that's probably what they said about Nicolas Cage at one point, too. (laughs) All right, my number... My number five, uh, Lord of War. Never even seen it. Never even thought about seeing it. What is? I, what, give me the plot in... Here's what this is. All right. If I haven't seen the movie, you have to explain the plot to me in ten words or less. Oh, man. Um, all right. Uh, Lord of War. Gunrunners. Jared Leto. Ethan Hawke. Based on a true story. That's way more than 10 and has not told me the plot of it at all. <laughs> you literally just told me the name of the movie, who's in it, and nothing about it. I said Gunrunners. Well, what are they doing? There's no plot specifics in that summation, like Gunrunners and Ethan it's, Hawke. It's, it's basically, it's, it, like I said, it's based on a true story, and it's about, uh, I believe, a, a man from New York that got into the uh, underarm underarm uh, underground <laughs> arms dealer uh race like in the 80s and 90s and he would work with the russians to sell guns to you know african countries european countries okay and then america got involved and started tracking them down and you know it kind of just follows his life and it's a good movie it's a great movie if you've never seen it and you and you like uh lord of war or uh nicholas cage movies okay my number five is ghost rider God, that's what I think of Nicolas Cage movies. No, my number five is Ghost Rider. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I mean, do you have a reason or, or 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 no? Because that is the fifth best Nicolas Cage movie in my mind. The rest of them are all such garbage. Only saving grace is well, like Ghost Rider. At least there was a helmet that was on fire. <laughs> I mean. I would argue that it's a, uh, no, I mean, it's not even a good movie, and you know it's not, but it has Ava Mendes in it, right? So I guess it gets saved a little bit if you're a fan of her. Is it Ava or Eva? It's a good, uh, I don't know, you should call her and get back to us. Okay, I'll check on it. What's your number four? <laughs> uh, leaving Las Vegas. That's ridiculous. That's legitimately, look, I'll tell you right now, I'm just going to go into this. That's number one on my list. That's legitimately the only, one of the very few movies that people could look at that he's been in and said, like, that's a good movie. I mean, sure. I mean, he, he won the Academy Award for Best Actor for it. I mean, it... This, so then why put it in... Well, we'll just go through your list, but that's a ridiculous place to have that. That should be number one. That's legitimately his best movie. Uh, I have it in number one. My number four is Face Off. Okay, so I, I have Face Off as my number two. Okay. I love it. I, I think for an action movie, I think it has everything you want. 
and John Travolta and him play great characters. I mean, they literally switch faces. It's um, it's it's just it's an incredible plot storyline. It's, it's awesome all the way around. You know what I never understood is why is that movie face backslash off? What's the backs? I don't understand the the backslash. I never understood <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I got nothing, man. I don't know. Okay, what's your number three? <laughs> uh, the Rock. Isn't it weird that The Rock is not in The Rock? No, because The Rock was not even a uh, professional wrestler in 1995 or whenever it came out. Would you think they would have had to change the name of The Rock if The Rock was in The Rock? Probably. <laughs> most most likely. Yeah, I feel like he should have gotten at least a phone call, or his agent definitely should have been doing something to try to get him in that movie. <laughs> Is that the one with Sean Connery? Yeah, and Ed Harris and uh, like a, uh, a group of rogue terrorists take over Alcatraz. And they like point a nuclear warhead at uh, San Francisco. See, now that was a good summation. That was a good job there. You didn't just list off the people who were in it. I'm impressed. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm here for. Not to confuse you and to, you know, keep things moving. Okay. What, what was that your number three? Yeah. And then my number two, I, I just mentioned uh, as face off. So I think we're on your three and two. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Never seen it. That's a legitimately good movie. Um, for people who have seen it, he is the voice of Spider, Spiders, one of the spiders, like Spider-Man Noir or something. He's the voice in the animated movie. It's a legitimately good movie, and I think that he does a good job in it because you don't know it's him. Okay. I mean, that's, yeah, I've, I've never seen I can't comment. I'm sure it's, sure it's fine. Okay. My number two, <laughs> my number two is Raising Arizona. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's my number one was Raising Arizona. Oh, okay. So your tastes aren't terrible. You didn't put, no. wow. Okay. There's a lot of questions that I have about movies that you left off that I thought were going to be in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, they're on my honorable mention, um, which we can get to because you already said you're number one. Um, I mean, I, I have Adaptation, which he was also nominated for Best Actor, which is a, a great movie. Uh, The Weatherman. Uh, Con Air, which I wanted to put, but realistically, it's a it's a real shitty movie. Um, City of Angels, I, I also put on here. The Family Man, um, World Trade Center, which is a pretty good movie if you've never seen it. That's kind of it. I also I put on Fast Times at Richmond High, but he's just a supporting character in that one. He's not really in that very much. Does he owe no, people really. money or something? Like, why does he keep doing all these shitty movies? <laughs> I'm not. I mean, who knows, right? I mean. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've read some things about him that he just likes taking risks, and sometimes the risks pay off, and sometimes they don't. I mean, he's already made his money, right? Like he doesn't. Everything from here is just, you know, extra cush money. So, okay, I'd like the. Okay, I'm just gonna give you some of the. You just give me a yes or a no. I'm just gonna go through some of the ones that I've heard of looking at his filmography. Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yes. Peggy Sue Got Married. Yes. Raising Arizona. Yep. Wild at Heart. Never seen it. Honeymoon in Vegas? Is that... Wait, is that a National Lampoon movie or is that something else? Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen it. Kiss of Death. 
Not a good movie. Not a good movie. <laughs> not a good movie at all. Although I do remember the scene in which he's like bench pressing somebody and thought it was the coolest thing. And then you grow up and realize, oh, wait, that's not really very difficult. Yeah, not a, not a good movie at all. You should just really move on. Man, 95 to 97? He had a good string of movies, though. Kiss of Death, Leaving Las Vegas, The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, City of Angels. That's a good two years, or three years, however you look, depending on how you look at it. I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that's, I get made fun of a lot and probably should, but I would say at one point he was considered an A-lister, like an A-plus actor for like five years. He's definitely up there as one of the most famous people in the world. Uh, I don't go that far, but I definitely think, well, I don't know, because you say Nick Cage and most people know who that is. So yeah, maybe you're right. I think he's up there. He's definitely, I think if you you were going to say like, okay, these are the 50 most famous actors in the world, he's probably in that top 50. I don't think that's a ridiculous statement. He's definitely in the top 100. Well, I mean, and let's not forget who he was married to at one point. I I honestly don't even know. Uh, Elvis's daughter. Who the fuck is that? <laughs> like Lisa Marie Presley. Oh, okay. I thought that was Michael Jackson. <laughs> no, bro. Wasn't Michael Jackson married to Lisa Marie Presley? Yeah, she was married to him. Yeah, she was married to him. But I thought you were talking about like that was like his Michael Jackson's daughter. Yeah, she was married to Michael once. Oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't even know that Nick Cage. I mean, he was destined to be a star since day one. First, he's a Coppola, and he was married to, uh, you know, Elvis's daughter. Great. I'm proud of him. I'm not trying to get through this list. that of... up if you had that, okay? Patrick Swayze is not more famous than Nicolas Cage. No, no, he's not at all. Steve Martin is not more famous than Nicolas Cage. Well, I don't know about that. Um, oh, the way this list is going, I could see him in the top ten. <laughs> Michael J. Fox, not more famous than Nicolas Cage. Uh, back to our thing. Gone in 60 Seconds? Terrible. Movie. Great movie, yeah. I wanted to put that on, but I, I didn't. That Honorable mention. The scene in which he goes in there and he puts on the old leather jacket is the single worst movie scene of all time. Oh, <laughs> Bro, those, that, those are, I mean, those are tough words right there. Like, that, that's, that, there's a lot of shitty movies, and you say that's the worst of all time? That is the, if, when I even think about how bad that movie scene is, I shudder. Okay, I mean, I'd have to go back and watch it. Like, I don't, I don't, you obviously really remember it. I don't, but uh, um, I'll, let's take your word on it. Why not? Right around 2010 is when he really started to drop off with just nothing. Like, <laughs> Okay, have you even heard of these movies? The Frozen Ground, Joe, Rage, Left Behind, Dying of the Light, Outcast, The Runner, Pay the Ghost, The Trust, Army of One, Mom and Dad, Looking Glass, The Humanity Bureau, 2011, Mandy, Between Worlds, A Score to Settle, Kill Chain, never even heard of any of those movies. To be honest, I stopped listening to you, but I, like, Frozen Ground or whatever, I think I've seen that, but that, I mean, nothing else. Okay, you have one question to ask Nicolas Cage, what is it? Why 
did you do so many shitty movies? Did you, does he, what, what, could he have an acceptable answer and you'd be like, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, sure, if he was like, that's just part of me, man. Like, I'm just taking risks as an actor. Like, oh, all right, well, good for you, because none of them worked out, really, after 1997. He'd probably hit us back with, like, why do you guys have such a shitty podcast? <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, what the fuck have you guys done with your wife? I life. I was married to uh, Elvis's daughter. Yeah, he'd shut us down. Do you think you could take him in a fight? I mean, how old is he? I'm going to say no because I'm not a telephone tough guy. <laughs> how old is he now? Oh, 56? Yeah, probably. <laughs> He's only worth $25 million? He's gotten into some uh, substantial legal troubles, if I'm not mistaken. He's also been married four times, which will, that'll fucking do it, buddy. <laughs> that will do it. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Nicolas Cage, look, if he's just making all of these bad movies because he wants to try something different, then more power to him, man. Good for him. If he needs money... Good for him, too, man. Everybody's got to have a job. But if you're going to be at home and like some of these movies, man, I got some questions for you. But let us know what you think are some of the best Nicolas Cage movies. Look, maybe maybe you really think jujitsu is going to be a great flag, man. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.